Hello, you're listening to the Bonded Books Podcast, where we discuss books, fight over book boyfriends, and the lack of filter is a family trait. If you're lucky, you might even hear one of our dogs barking in the background. Because hey, if we have to deal with them, then so do you. We hope to dazzle you with our discussion while not being hurtful to the authors we feature. Success not guaranteed. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, honey. Hi. (laughs) Hi, how are you? I'm a mess. (laughs) You sound a little... um, Out of breath? Perky. Flustered. (laughs) Yeah. What what is happening? Oh, my gosh. Well, I got everything all set up, and then I go to call you through the app, and I realized I never plugged my headphones in. So I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. I forgot about the headphone part. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't plug mine in either. Sorry. It's okay. Thank God. Wow. I'm like, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Just when I think I have everything good to go, I got – there's so much stuff I got to, like, plug in, unplug. I got to unplug the mouse so I can plug in the microphone, you know, make sure I'm connected to the power because I'm using a laptop. Yeah. Almost forgot about the microphone. I got to get my phone so that I could look at the notes that I have in my Google Doc. Yeah. It's it's, just, a, it's a lot. Is it worth it? <laughs> <laughs> Listener That's, would probably say no. <laughs> yes. Exactly. I you know what? I that's so funny that you said, "Oh, I forgot my headphones because I totally forgot to put my headphones on. And when you started talking, I was like, wow, you're so loud. Why are you so loud? But now I get it. I just put them on. It's much better. Well, and like last time you forgot to plug in the microphone. <laughs> yeah, I am. This is just not something I should be doing. Uh, I. <laughs> well, it's funny, though, because even though you didn't use the microphone that one episode, it sounded perfectly fine to me. Oh, well, I must have a good microphone in this uh, crappy little laptop that I have. Yeah, it's the only thing Google Chromebook has going for it, apparently. Right, exactly. Otherwise, the laptops suck. Yeah, I have an issue with them, too, but that's a whole other story. Things are just a little chaotic here, but I'm pulling it together and we're good. Yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, well, (laughs) at least they're not jackhammering the slab in my kitchen. I had a doctor appointment yesterday. And they started, of course, they started jackhammering five minutes after my video appointment started. And my doctor's like, oh, my God, how are you dealing? How are you not having a nervous breakdown? You're like, I'm all you're, the profe- yeah, you're the professional. You tell me. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't know. That's why I'm having this doctor's appointment with you right, right now. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Lots of clonopin. By the way, can you refill that prescription for me? <laughs> yeah, double the dosage. Double thanks. the dose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good God. Life's uh, great, isn't it? So worth it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some people get to tour the world and, you know, live in high society and are healthy. And then there's the rest of the world. 
Yeah, no, the, bitter, no bitterness here. No, none whatsoever. Yeah, I can't okay. detect it at all. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> oh, Lord. All right, so are you ready to discuss this book? I am. Do you want to talk about our new intro first, or do you want me to talk about it? Go ahead. You talk about it. <laughs> Great. I um, can talk about it if you want me to. No, it's fine. All right. Um, So we tweaked the intro just a little bit. Because um, we were maybe feeling a little bad about <laughs> mm. <laughs> not always being positive. And, you know, I think we probably should have done this on episode one. But, like, yeah. we want to give you, like, our honest opinions on the books and how we're actually reacting to them. But we, at the same time, we don't want to be rude to the authors or mean to them. So if we come across that way, it's definitely not our intention you know we try to highlight the good and the bad and everything that we're like feeling as we're reading the books and how we're reacting to the characters and what have you I will say this new intro has absolutely nothing to do with this book that we're going to discuss today it's just a new intro in general or a coincidence go ahead oh and um (laughs) (laughs) I was just gonna say you know like i kind of do this podcast how I do my review. So I review every single book that I read and I read a lot. And, yeah. you know, I like to review the books that I read because, you know, the number of reviews helps the authors, but then at the same time, reviews are for the readers and something that I didn't like maybe has absolutely no bearing on something you would like as a reader. Like for me, certain things stick out, but for other people, other things stick out. And so there's different deal breakers in books and, you know, just because we feel a certain way about books or characters, we encourage you to form your own opinions and go from there. (laughs) Yes. My, my addition to that is that I'm a judgmental bitch. I admit it freely. (laughs) If I don't like something, I don't mean to be mean, but I sometimes slam it and I feel bad if we're being promoted by an author and I particularly didn't care for their book. You know, this writing is a form of art and I'm also an artist and I wouldn't want people judging me, but I'm going to judge them. (laughs) Just, I apologize uh, for being that way, but I, uh, I'm sorry. I have to be honest. And then if I can't be honest, um, I really don't want to do this podcast. So I'm sorry. I apologize in advance. Authors may want to listen to the podcast about their book before they promote it on their, their own websites. Yeah. If you're an author, proceed with caution. If we're highlighting your book, because we will give you our honest opinion and like I said, reviews are for the readers. They're not for the authors. So keep doing what you're doing. Yes, please. And, you know, feel free to take whatever we're saying with a grain of salt. And, you know, if I just keep saying I'm not always an asshole, maybe eventually you'll believe me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I won't even bother to say I'm not always an asshole because what's the point? Yeah, I hear you. All right. So on that note, um, do you want to just jump right into this book? Yes, I would like to. Okay, so the book that we're talking about today is Dust Walker by Tiffany Roberts. And Tiffany Roberts is a husband and wife duo. Um, I will say that this book does have a couple triggers. So uh, maybe don't listen to our episode if you have triggers 
for rape or murder because those do happen in this book. Yes, they do. So yeah, we will be discussing those. So feel free to turn us off now if you don't want to hear about that stuff. But it's your loss. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you can edit that out. All not right, fine. Not losing much, maybe. Yeah, we'll maybe. Episode goes. All right. <laughs> so this book takes place in a post-apocalyptic world, and the only survivors are the robots that are running everything and the humans that live in these shanty towns. They're struggling to survive, and many of the humans live in shacks in the wasteland of the town called Cheyenne. Uh, some are try to survive by searching for anything they can find that is left over from this post-apocalyptic destruction. Uh, and then they can turn around and trade it for food or water. So they clone, they comb through the ruins outside the walls of the city. And all of that area is known as the dust. Me a really long time to figure out where they were. Cheyenne is a real city and this is set in the real city. And I will just freely admit I'm horrible at geography, Hmm. but also at the same time, because this is post apocalyptic and because of all of the descriptions of the world, I really thought that they were in like Texas or some sort of like deserty environment, but they aren't. They're in like the ruins. Yeah, they're the the ruins of the world after this nuclear war or whatever happened. Yeah, so it takes a long time to figure out that's why everything's kind of turned this way. Yeah, there's humans and there's robots, and the humans are basically second-class citizens to the robots. But no matter what, everyone's kind of bad off because of how the world is, the state of the world, I should say. Yes, and the story centers around a character called Laura Brooks, who lives in the Wasteland, And she is, her sister Tabitha is missing. She hasn't seen her for two months. And they had been surviving together by scavenging the ruins of the city. And she doesn't know what happened to her sister. And the book starts out with her, Lara, sorry, it's Lara, scavenging for some, something she could trade. And she ends up finding a picture, like a picture of water, not a photo, and she she thinks that maybe she can trade it with some friends that she knows called Kate and Gary. Their names are Kate and Gary. And they will sometimes trade her for scraps of food. And she's thinking, oh, this is a great find. They could use it to hold water. I'm going to take it to them and see if they will give me some food. They also have a five-year-old daughter named Maggie. The thing they mention in the book is... Everybody needs to be inside by nightfall or they face punishment from the robots. And the person running this town of Cheyenne, he's referred to as the warlord. And he's running the robots and all these robots have his symbol on their head. And it signifies that they're in his service. If the symbol's found on a human's home, it means they broke the rules and they're in big trouble. I actually really liked this opening of the book and Lara finding the picture Mm -hmm. because way that the authors write is really descriptive and beautiful. And it's really makes for me, I should say 
I really liked Lara at the beginning because she can like find the beauty in the darkness and she like treasures these little things. Like she kind of reminds me of like Ariel from the little mermaid where she's like (laughs) collecting these little things from, you know, the human realm. Right. You know, she has nothing, but then, you know, you're just going through all this like landfill. It's not even a landfill. It's just the world. It's a dust bowl is what it is. Yeah, she's just like digging through the dust bowl and she finds these little things and she like wants to keep them because she thinks they're beautiful or she'll find like little pieces of stuff. I, I kind of liked that about her character at the beginning. So do you want to say what happens when she gets to Kate and Gary's house or do you want me to say that? Go ahead. Okay, so she gets to Kate and Gary's house and she wants to trade with them because she hates the robots. She wants nothing to do with them, but she has to do something. So that she can get food. So she goes to give them the picture. Gary tells her that they can no longer trade with her because Kate is pregnant with their second child. And they need whatever extra food they get because as a family you get a little bit of extra food. They need whatever extra food they get for Kate because she's pregnant. But also this presents a problem for them because you're only allowed to have one child per human couple. So Lara is upset that she's not able to get the food, but at the same time, she's worried about her friends. These are her friends and her neighbors. Right. And she knows that they're going to be in a lot of trouble. So she still ends up giving them the picture as a like, thanks for helping me the last few months. And, you know, like, good luck to you. And then she's kind of like upset and despondent. She's still hungry. She hasn't eaten in like days at this point. And she goes home. Chapter, this chapter ends with Lara in her little shack of a house and she's got another thing that made me think of the little mermaid is she's got like a wind chime that she's made out of like scraps. Oh, right. Little pieces. So it's hanging in the front of her shack and the little tinkling noises makes kind of a music and she is dancing to kind of like, instead of falling apart emotionally because she's so upset, she just kind of does this like melancholy sort of dance. And that's how her chapter ends. That's kind of what I do to cope with life. (laughs) (laughs) I dance around the kitchen only to have my 200 pound English Mastiff knock me to the ground because she thinks I'm having a stroke or something, but that's a whole other story. (laughs) So the next chapter we're introduced to Ronan who is under attack by uh, these things called synths. And they are a specific type of robot. There's different types of robots within the, the dust or in this world that they're building. And they explain that Ronan is a dust walker. What that means is he goes out and he salvages things that will eventually, I, I guess, help build the bots or maintain the bots. And he does that for the warlord. So they start to attack him uh, because they want hit what he's salvaging. But he can tell by the way they're shooting that they're not operating at full capacity. There's something wrong with them. He's a robot and Ronan gets ends up getting shot, but he figures it's okay because he can go back to Cheyenne and get fixed and repaired. But b- when you're out in the dust too long, it can actually damage the robots because they can go into their processors, all the dirt. And so he has to stay in the city every once in a while for maintenance. And we also learn uh, that for the past eight months, he's been based in Cheyenne 
he's never noticed these robots so close to to town before and he's remembering something called the blackout that happened at least 15 years ago and it's where no one none of the robots or people or anybody seem to remember what happened prior to the blackout and he keeps drawing trying to draw on his memory to fill in the gaps and he was woken by someone called referred to as the prophet uh and he is now in his 185th year since he was reactivated by this prophet. The blackout was 200 years ago. So whatever this great event was, we don't learn until later in the book. It's the blackout, which like wiped out technology. Yeah, like history, technology, like all that kind of stuff. I loved his portions and his POVs because they're so authentic in him being very robotic Right. That you never have a doubt that he's not human. Like, right. For us, it would be like, I looked out the window. For him, it says he turned his optics to the West. Mm -hmm. Stuff stuff like that. And I loved it. I was like, oh, it's very like, I don't know. It really sets him apart and, you know, makes him stand out as a character. Yeah, he he comes across as, from the beginning, I think, is very different from the rest of the robots. And they do explain in the book that every robot has been programmed with their individual task. And the majority of them don't have higher cognitive function like Ronan does. But he actually envies them because they know what their purpose is. And he can't remember what his purpose is because of this blackout. Who am I? What am I doing? He's like a teenager almost, like... (laughs) <laughs> what am I doing in life? Who am I meant to be yes. when I grow up? Like he doesn't. <laughs> what do you mean, teenager? I'm still doing that. I'm 64. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What am I going to hit my stride? When am I going to figure out why I'm here? Yeah, that's a good point. I think we all do that. The dust reminds me a lot of like the Mad Max movie or like the newer Star Wars movies with Ray, where she's like going through the dust areas, the dirt areas, and she's trying to get scraps. To take them. This whole thing really made me think a lot about movies. I think it had to do with like the way that the authors wrote. I kind of like that. It's very visual. It is very visual. In fact, it made me depressed and it made me realize that if God forbid this ever happens in real life, I hope I die in the explosion because I <laughs> I wouldn't last a half an hour in this kind of world. I, I wouldn't last either. But this is right. all she's ever known because this is 200 years since that event happened and I don't remember how old she is. She's like 22 or something. She's pretty young. Yeah, she's very young. Rowan, after he goes through this, he ends up finding a a canteen while he's out there scrounging for stuff. And, you know, this apparently is a huge find that he can find this canteen because it can hold water. And he decides that he's going to go back to the the city. When he gets to the city, there's... an area that separates the bot district from the human district. And it's surrounded by a 10 foot wall that separates the humans from the robots. I don't remember what he ends up doing when he gets to the town, but he ends up kind of venturing around. And at some point or somehow he hears this noise that he's never noticed before. So he goes to investigate what is this noise? And it turns out that noise is, Lara's wind chime music box thing. Her front door was a little open because it's so hot 
it was so hot in the house that she had the door open so that she could kind of get a breeze while she's dancing. So he does this like creepy peeping Tom sort of thing where he watches her dance and he's, he can't figure it out. He's like instantly fascinated with her. Right. She of course catches him and tells him to fuck off. Right. You know, get out, get out, get out of here. What are you doing here? He says that he wants to watch her dance and he is willing to like pay her or like do things for her so that she'll dance. And she just goes off on, she goes insane on him and is like, right. Get out of here. I don't dance for bots anymore. And he leaves. He ends up giving her the water jug canteen canteen thing first as a like, you know, here's this in exchange for you dancing for me. She's screaming at him. She's so angry and he doesn't understand why she's having such a violent reaction to him. And it just doesn't seem rational. He, he doesn't have any desire to hurt her. He just wanted to get her to dance more because he doubts that he could replicate uh, as the way her body moves. And he's just fascinated by it. Yeah, he's constantly trying to figure her out and use logic to sort her out. But she's just a big ball of emotion. So good luck to him. Yeah, his inner dialogue is, after this encounter, and I'm going to quote, he, he says, they wear their hardships on their bodies, told their stories through their scars. For a bot, damage was often fleeting. A synth can be made to look new again for a human, for good or ill cannot. So he's saying they're easily identified. They're very emotional human beings and that robots are very different. Yeah, I love that quote too. Yes. So he leaves her place. He goes to trade his uh, scraps and whatever he had for credits, which is their version of money. He goes to a um, dance, uh, like a showgirl thing, this place called Kitties, to watch the erotic dancers. And he can't, they don't have the same appeal to him that Lara had. He can tell one of them is a human, one of them is a robot. He's just kind of sitting there like, eh, this isn't really doing it for me, but this is my only option. And somebody approaches him, sits down next to him, and it's Warlord. Oh, yeah. And Warlord kind kind of has this little talk with him of like, I'm watching you almost. Warlord hates the humans. He calls them meat bags. So gross. Yes, it is. Um, And Warlord does not like Dustwalker Ronin because he disregards the rules. Right. So when Ronin came back into town, he's, you're supposed to be back through the gate before dark. And Rowan didn't really make it. So he, the, the guards at the gate confront him. He's a little flippant back to them. And they end up apparently telling Warlord about their interaction with Ronin. And so the Warlord is coming to basically give him a warning slash lecture. Did you ever watch the HBO show Westworld? Oh, yeah. So this entire book really reminded me of that show. And I loved that show. I thought it was so good. That's so funny because I watched the movie Westworld in, I think it came out in the 70s. Okay. (laughs) That the TV show was based on. Okay. 
Yeah, so I saw the movie and the TV show because I'm so goddamn old, apparently. <laughs> yeah, so this book gives me the whole, like, vibes of that the whole time that I was reading it. Well, what I got when I was reading this book and the vibe I got is, for the love of God, haven't all of us seen The Terminator? Look what happened in that movie. Why the hell does man still insist on developing robots to do this because they only end up turning around and taking over and making our lives a living hell. Okay. So that's hilarious because yesterday I was just talking to my husband about, apparently there's this new satellite thing, internet type thing that Elon Musk is doing. Oh God. He's probably a robot himself. Yeah. And Yes. He's sending all of these satellites up into space and the satellites are like connected somehow. So if you watch a video of them like traveling across the atmosphere, they're all kind of like connected Mm -hmm. like a satellite army. He's great. He's calling it Skylink. Do you remember in Terminator how the like corporation or what have you that destroyed the world was called Skynet? Yes, why is he doing this? Well, like, has Stephen Hawking taught us nothing? <laughs> Stephen Hawking's like, stop sending signals out to try to find aliens. Mm-hmm. What the hell are you people inviting in here? And then we have Elon Musk. Oh my God. Thank God I'm almost at the end of my lifespan. I will say that I think Elon Musk has done some amazing things for technology. Oh, yes. And he's brilliant. Brilliant. The fact that he. He's one of those creators, like we don't deserve him almost because he does his inventions and then he doesn't keep the patents for his forever like some inventors do. Right. He like after a certain amount of years, he like releases the patent so that everybody can have this technology. It's amazing. But anyways, long story short, I was like, we should all be a little scared, though, that the Skylink is so similar. Oh, and then did you hear that thing earlier in the week that? robots can self-replicate now apparently what are you talking about no i don't know that because (laughs) this is why i don't watch the news it's i can't take it yeah there's a story that came out that some robots like learned or evolved enough to self-replicate and i'm like here we go here we go people yeah it's the beginning of and it's perfect timing for us to read this kind of book yeah make your bunkers now time is limited (laughs) or don't and just be done with it yes yeah, that's me. Oh, gosh. Okay, so anyways, um, what ends up happening next in the book? Warlord just threatens him and tells him, you know, you're this is my city. You need to do what I say. You need to start following the rules. Oh, yeah. So the next thing that happens is from Lara's um, perspective. She ends up going, she leaves home like the next morning. She has a run-in with this guy named Devin. who tries to win her over with all of his stuff. He's very creepy. Gave me those Gaston from Beauty and the Beast vibes. I'll be a gentle lover, Lara. (laughs) I literally almost puked in my mouth when I read that. And I put that in my notes too to point out. Oh, sorry. It's disgusting. It is disgusting. No, I'm glad it it stood out for you too. Um, He calls Lara's sister, Tabitha, a bot banger. So why can't Lara whore herself out to him if her sister can whore herself out to the robots because her her sister ended up leaving because she uh, 
shacked up with a robot or whatever. So she became like a robot pet or mate or whatever you want. Yeah, to we don't it. we don't know at this point in the book why she did what she did and why she's not coming back. Yeah, so Lara goes out to scavenge again because she needs you know stuff every day. This is what she does. She finds an old photograph of a couple. Which is another thing that she's just kind of like, oh, this is cool, but it has no purpose, but she still likes it. So she keeps it. She ends up finding a diamond ring in the dirt. And right. This is awful. This part was so bad. She ends up finding a diamond ring. And because it's like metal, which is something that is important, and it has a precious stone, she's like, oh my gosh, I this will kind of like set me up for a long time if I trade it. Well, because of the blackout that happened the weather is very unpredictable and a massive storm ends up coming like really quickly and she ends up losing the ring before she can even get back to her home base to trade it in she ends up lose she like tripped or something and she dropped it and then it was like a flash flood and it was right. horrible there's a current that of water and because she's standing in a storm drain looking at this thing and when the water, the rain starts and the water uh, starts rushing down towards the storm drain and she she drops this ring and you feel her desperation because, oh my God, I was starving and hot and so thirsty while I was reading this book. <laughs> and, <laughs> and when she lost the ring, I almost killed myself because now what am I going to do? Yeah, you can really feel her breakdown that she's having in the what I think of as a street gutter, but they don't even have streets at this point. Right. She's like kind of in this like gutter area. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ronan sees her from afar and he's kind of like, he goes to check on her and he's like, what is like, what is she doing? Why is she like kneeling in this gutter? Like nothing. Why is she in the gutter? Yeah. So he goes to check on her and her freak out that she's having. And my notes say, this is one of many freak outs to come from Lara. So just yes. buckle up people because <laughs> this is this the beginning of her emotional roller coaster. She's going to take us on. It's like they make him extremely practical and her just insane over the edge needs to be sedated. But what you didn't mention is that he's secretly following her because he's fascinated with her after watching her dance. And that's why he happens to be there and see her, you know, lose it out in the middle of the rain. And so he blows his cover from watching her and he goes over to her because she wasn't, (laughs) in his opinion, she's not safe out there and neither was he. And the storm and she's got, you know, these crappy human shoes on and she can't take care of herself. So he literally sweeps her off her feet and jogs her back to Cheyenne and he's basically her knight in shining robot armor. That's exactly right. <laughs> and she was she was cut on her knee. And you have to be really careful because everything is so dirty in this world that people easily can uh, are susceptible to infections, and it could prove fatal. Mm-hmm. So he wants to clean her up and dress her room, and she's very wound, and she's very combative. She's like, "I I'll be fine. Leave me alone. I don't need you." Doesn't need anybody apparently. Until apparently she, not until she needs everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, so he takes her back to her place. 
he has food or he picked up food or something. So he gives her some food because Lord knows he doesn't need it. He doesn't eat. Right. Gives her some food and makes a proposal, make you an offer you cannot refuse. So he offers her food, water and shelter and clothing in exchange for living with him and dancing for him. She's kind of like, I don't really want to do this, but it's, it's an offer that's too good to pass up. So she agrees to do this with him, this arrangement, but her stipulation to the arrangement is that she wants help finding her sister. Right. And, and he's not to touch her. Yeah. Don't touch me like ever and help me find my sister, which is kind of this whole, like help me find my sister theme in the book. It's kind of odd because her sister left of her own volition. Like she made an arrangement with a robot she went off on her own. So the fact that like Lara spends so much time trying to find her sister is kind of desperate well, I, almost. I think you missed the point that her sister would come back and check on her and talk to her every once in a while. And it was, it's not like her sister not to come back and see her. Oh, okay. Yeah. Then maybe I did miss that. Mm -hmm. there's a lot going on it's easily missed yeah there is a lot that happens in this book so she ends up packing her meager belongings which is really nothing except for this little um, the trinkets the, she's collected yeah her little trinkets she throws them in her little hobo bag and she leaves <laughs> with <laughs> what a visual okay <laughs> that's how i thought of it it's like, mm -hmm. it's like she has a backpack i mean it's right got, it's gotta it's be like she's... that stick with the little you know <laughs> From the old cartoons, it's not politically correct anymore. She, it's not? I don't, I'm so out of touch. Everything's not politically correct. Oh, that's right. So I, I don't think in this world she even has a stick. I'm surprised she's not just carrying all her stuff <laughs> in her hands. Right. <laughs> she definitely doesn't have pockets in that outfit. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, as they're going, Ronan finds out that... Uh, Lara is concerned about Warlord's gearheads. She calls them gearheads because of the little symbol that they have like on their faces, the Warlord symbol. Um, they stop at this market to get her some food because of course, of course, Ronan doesn't have any. On the way, of course, gearheads see Ronan. They have a little bit of a confrontation and that kind of freaks Lara out because she has been avoiding Warlord and the robots in general as much as possible but he's very in tune to her and he's like what did they do to you lara what did they you know what did they do and she's like they didn't do anything to me because she's still mean deny 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 right nothing happened i just hate them to hate them which is right so not true she has a valid reason to hate them <laughs> yes she does she just won't fess up okay so they end up making it their way towards what is called the bot district, which is the district that Ronan has his house in kind of reminds me of like the Mary Poppins town with the Victorian style houses. Yeah. And it's very, very different than the, where the humans are living. It's where the bots live. Yeah. A better way to describe it is more like a wizard of Oz when Dorothy goes <laughs> in the tornado and she goes from this like dusty, horrible, black and white world and she's suddenly dropped into you know the land of oz and it's all color and beautiful houses and and lawn green lawns he, he tells her no more conversation because they have to go past the guards to get into this bot district 
he said, don't talk. I'll talk to them. And she ends up kind of cowering behind his back because they are scaring her. Thinks to herself, things existed here, but nothing lived. Right. And it's true. The bot district is described as being only one mile from her house, but it's like a completely different world. And she keeps thinking, why do these people, people being robots, why did they right. need so much space? And she kind of, she finally gets in his house and she's like, what's a dresser? Who has this many clothes? Yeah, she doesn't. They She has no sense of anything because she did not live in a time when people had houses and dressers and a lot of clothes and running water and everything in his house. He lives in this beautiful, huge three-story house. And she's so angry. She doesn't understand why do bots need such a large house when people are living in these tiny shacks and suffering. They even have like electricity. They have refrigerators. They have full yes. kitchens. Like you don't even eat. They have these other robots that their purpose is to come by and check the appliances in the house and make sure everything is constantly running. They have bots that are like the landscapers basically and they're right. like trimming the grass it's like why why do you guys have all this stuff you're not even humans you don't even need this stuff like it's such a waste of resources in her mind right and it, she he has to even explain to her what a toilet is <laughs> this part was great yeah it was she gets mad she's like fascinated and then he gets I think she does something and maybe he like laughs at her a little bit or he like chuckles and she gets all pissed off. She's like, don't laugh at me. I've never seen this stuff before. Right. Um, she goes to take a shower because they, he actually has running water, which why does he need water? It's not like he goes and takes a shower. I think the only time he ever bathes is when he does like sponge bath things. Um, but she ended up of course, because she's never showered before. She does something with the water where I think she makes it like extra cold or extra hot. And she extra ends up hot. Yeah. Okay. She ends up falling out of the bathtub and then Ronan barges in to be like, what was that noise? What's happening? Checking on her. Right. And she's like sprawled out on the bathroom floor, completely naked. And she's like in this very vulnerable position. She's getting a little freaked out. He just takes one look at her. Then he like looks away and he's like, what? what's going on? She's like, get out of here. I fell. And this whole thing was kind of interesting to me because Ronan's reaction to her naked, malnourished body laying there on the bathroom <laughs> floor was so strong. He turned into like the dust walker version of an energizer bunny. He's like instantly like connected to her even more. I'm like, why is he having such a reaction to her? This thing, she hasn't even eaten in like five days. Like she can't be, I don't know. It was kind of odd to me. Well, I don't think he even knows why he's so attracted to her. Yeah, he really doesn't. It's a mystery to all of us. She goes downstairs after she's taken a shower and everything. And she says, do you want me to dance for you now? I, I she's, She fights with him so many times. And I, I got to confess something to you, honestly. And I didn't tell you this before. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but I had so many notes on this book and going through these notes that after nine pages, I stopped. That's fine. <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's perfectly fine because after a certain point in the book, I didn't care what happened anymore. Yes. And I, oh, thank God you said that. We'll get there. I Okay. 
<laughs> it's it's really sad, but it's true. Um, they do end up having a lot of fights, and it is kind of hard to keep them straight mm -hmm. in what happened when, because they're just constantly fighting, and Lara is just a very, like, temperamental person. Right. She keeps being very explosive and having mm -hmm. tantrums and storming out of the room and um, slamming doors and, and doing all these things. Yeah. And he wants her just to say, say, say what is going on so I can understand you. And she's very emotional. She, she actually said something to him and he, he's like, you don't get to say things to like that to me and then just walk away. She goes, I'm not walking. I'm storming away. He's all humans are so volatile. Uh, but she took the terms to a whole new level and he attempts to, he's going to reach out and grab her arm to make her stop and talk. But he knows that the fight is going to be even worse if he does that. So he stops. He doesn't touch her. He lets her storm off. She tells him to go away and slams the bedroom door. And he says, open the door. And she says, no, go away. And he says to her from the other side of the door, I'm sorry I upset you. And she stares at the door speechless and her anger suddenly vanishes um, because he could kick that door. She knows he could kick that door in and teach her a lesson and hurt her. And he doesn't. And she has never had a bot apologize to, oh, it's 23. She's 23 because I have a note. She says never in her 23 years has she heard a bot apologize to a human. Even though they did fight a lot, I did like their dialogue and their interactions with one another but she's starving and barely surviving as a human but she has a lot of extra energy to go off on these tangents at all times <laughs> yes but then at the same time i feel like as the book progresses to me she got more and more hysterical and she got more emotional as the book went on and had more outbursts but i think it was almost accurate in how it an actual person would be, even though I did not like that about her. Because they'd be losing their mind at this point after living through all this crap. Yeah. I think, you know, you have to kind of shut your emotions off when you're in this survival mode. And so she was in survival mode for so long. Mm -hmm. that you can't feel, you don't have time or energy to actually feel all the emotions of all of the traumatic things that are happening to you in your life. Right. And then when you actually have time, you're like a bomb that goes off. You're like this a blackout bomb that happens. Yes. And so she's like, it's just, it just starts pouring out of her constantly, like all these things that she's had bottled up in any form. She just kind of lashes out at everybody. Right. But he's like the main person that she dumps all her crap on. Mm -hmm. and I, I'm really surprised he was as patient as he was with her. But he's fascinated with her and he says in the book that he's never been obsessed with a human before like he is with her. She's got a hair trigger. You got to be careful. Right. Really. <laughs> and they start talking to each other and she finally starts asking him, why, why did they call you Dustwalker? Uh, he says, because there's very few uh, robots that do what I do. And it's easy. Uh, we are easily identified by our title. And there's rarely more than one or two successful dust walkers at any given in any given town at any time. And they're more, they are respected more than a lot of other robots. 
because of what they do. Yeah, he's kind of an adventurer, an explorer. So even though the warlord doesn't like him mm -hmm. as personally, he also needs him because Ronan will go out and venture these long distances and hundreds of miles, find scraps, find metal, and drag them back to the town. And that's what keeps the settlement and the robots going. Yeah. The more time that goes on with her being in the house, the more she turned into a bored and petulant child, in my opinion. Yes. Um, she just has no purpose now. So she's getting frustrated and what have you. She wants to go look for her sister. And he's like, no. Yeah, she wants to look for her sister. But then at the same time, she did the exact same thing that he does. She's basically the human version of a dust walker. She just stays closer to home while she does it. So she's like, let me go with you. I can do this stuff too. This is what I do. But it's not what she does because he goes way out to where it's more dangerous and other things can happen. Yeah, she's like the starter version of him. He says he wants to leave and go for three weeks because in three weeks he can go great distances. She freaks out and he agrees to only leave for three days. Uh, the writing in this book was actually really beautiful to me. And I really just loved some of the things they said in here. So at one point when they're fighting, he says to her, does a thing have to be flesh and blood to be alive? He asked, oh, voice right. low and brimming with anger. Do humans own that term that they get to define it? Then he, late, a little bit later on, he says, I think I reason, I react to the world around me. I question what I know and see. And I wonder what the future might bring, though I know it won't likely be different than the past. I hope his voice dwindled, becoming something raw. I yearn. It's just so like, he's just trying to just explain to her like, yes, you're a human and I'm a robot. But at the same time, like I have feelings, I have emotions, I... I'm valid as a being also. Right. It's not exclusively a human thing. We, I have I have feelings too, damn it. <laughs> yeah. If you cut me, do I not bleed? Well, yeah. I guess I wouldn't. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Answered my own question. Yeah, there I go. <laughs> yeah, he does not bleed in this book, and he does get cut at some point. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, even though there were characteristics about Lara that I didn't like, I really liked Ronin and I really liked the writing style in this book. So yeah, so he leaves. While he's out, he ends up finding the ring that she lost. Um, he ends up making it all the way to Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, he finds a synth and a human. Oh, God. What? While he's uh, while he's like going to Fort Collins, the synth and the human that he finds was Tabitha. Are we there already? Yes. He's like, how am I going to tell her? I have to tell her this, but it's just going to be it's going to be horrible. And he ends up burying her sister for her because he's like, you know, I can't leave her out here. I have to at least give her some respect and and bury her so I can go back and tell Lara that I buried her sister they're left there in the dirt as an example for other people the warlord wants all the other people to know that they won't tolerate anything that isn't his law or word and stepping outside of the parameters that the warlord has set up there's going to be consequences and they're going to be horrible 
So he returns after burying that. I think he buried the robot and Tabitha. I don't remember. So he returns a day early. Lara is mad at him because he, I think he left, but he didn't say goodbye. He tells her pretty quickly about Tabitha, which I liked. He doesn't really keep anything yes. from her. So he told her right away about Tabitha and she understandably freaks out. This is literally the only family she had. She starts crying. Of course. And then she kisses him. I think she wanted to feel anything other than the like crushing the devastation, pain. the pain. Yeah. Yeah. So they end up having sex. And she's shocked when she finds out that his lips are actually warm and they're not rigid. Like she, the, she thought they would be. Can I talk about how I was revolted in this scene? Oh yeah, please. So this scene was, a the scene was good. The scene was fine. But at one point, it talks about when he's like finishing and it says he pulses like his penis pulses. And I like full body shivered. I thought that was so gross. Like, doing, why is it doing that? <laughs> like, this is like an added uh, robot penis feature that I could have gone my entire life without reading about. The thing that got me was... I am sorry. I have never read this genre before. Me either. I cannot wrap my head around. To me, you have to have a soul to be someone that I want to get involved with, I guess. Even though I've dated some people that I thought were soulless at the end. But <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You know them. Um, say hypothetically, I had a vibrator. And sure... That vibrator may give me pleasure, but do I want that vibrator at some point to be talking to me and to be able to have a consciousness? No. I could never get past the fact that this is a goddamn robot. It is not a human being. He's like a fancy blow-up doll. I guess so. I I don't know, Rachel. I don't know what to tell you. I just could never uh, understand their love story because I, he's a goddamn robot. I didn't really like mind a lot of it, but certain things I could have done without, like I didn't need him to pulse when he came and when he does orgasm and his orgasms are described as like, he basically short circuits. Right. <laughs> he, <laughs> he blows his mind by he, blowing a circuit. She talks about her sister some more and about how Tabitha always went to the extremes to do anything that was necessary to provide for them. She used to work at Kitty's. And yes. she, she was sick of her sister having to do all the heavy lifting to make them survive. So she decides she's going to do it. And of course, with her luck, the robot that she decides to do this with is the lore, is the warlord. Yeah, so we get to figure out why she's saying she doesn't dance for robots anymore at the beginning of the book. Why she hates warlord. And it's pretty descriptive about what warlord did. So she exchanged her deal with warlord was to exchange one hour of her time for food or money. I can't remember what she was supposed to get out of it. Something. Uh-huh. Credit probably credit. Credits. Yeah. And she panicked and wanted to, you know, not do it anymore, but he still ended up taking what he wanted for the entire hour and really hurting her physically during that time. It was gross. You're untrustworthy, weak, spineless sack of meat. So I'm going to fuck you into the dirt where you belong. Yeah, it was gross. It was bad. Yeah, he was. Yeah, there's no reason to just even to go into detail. But that's why she's terrified of the warlord and the bots. You know, he's trying to comfort her and he gets her to stop crying. 
this next thing, like, <laughs> this is the epitome of this escalated quickly, okay? They went yeah. from, like, a slow burn right. enemies to lovers sort of relationship to, like, <sighs> we're fated mates. Like, yeah. this. <laughs> because she makes him feel, quote-unquote, alive, and he's never felt alive before. There's something about her. He ends up giving her the ring that he found, and they get married. I actually thought this part was kind of sweet. Um, it, it was actually very sweet, but it was also very quick to some extent. And it's like, you've known him for like three days. Life is short in the dust, Rachel. Apparently. And he says, let this ring be my vow to protect you, to provide for you, to give you all you need. That's within my power. And find a way to give you whatever's not. And the air just left her lungs that's when she says, did you just kind of marry me? And he says, well, I'm giving you my vow. And she ends up returning the vow. She promises to protect him too, to the best of her ability and to trust him. Yeah. I think after being, who knows how long he was alive, quote unquote alive before the blackout happened. But at this point he's been around for 200 years and he's right. never felt like this before. Right. So he's like, well, this is new and different and like amazing. And so I'm just going to like latch onto this. It's kind of like in all the Fae books that we love where the Fae, the Fae male is always like 500 years old. Rissand. <clears throat> and the oh. girl is like 18. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I've yeah. Never, in all my hundreds of years, I've never met a girl like you. You're my faded mate. Right. <laughs> Why is your faded mate always 500 years younger than you? Yeah, and a, basically a child compared to what you are, but whatever. As soon as they're done getting married, she starts to freak out and she wants to leave Cheyenne. And he says, we can, but I need to get supplies first. We can't just leave. Like, you need food. We need clothes. You know, there's nothing out there beyond these walls. Trust me. Let me get some supplies and then we can make our great escape. Right, because he's very afraid that they're going to find her. The robots are going to find her, and God knows what the warlord will do with her. Yeah, so things escalate pretty quickly from here in the book. Um, he goes out into the dust. He ends up finding a house. ends up um, triggering a tripwire. Yes. With explosives, and he ends up getting blown up a little bit. It switches to her perspective and she gets woken up by this odd noise and she starts to freak out and she takes a gun that he had given her and she like shoots. Fortunately she misses because it was him coming home. Right. And she like takes one look at him like, Oh my God, you're all sorts of messed up. This scene was so gross. Because it was she horrible. It was disgusting. She ends up like pulling all the shrapnel out of him, but then also she has to like peel off his skin because his skin is so messed up that it's like overloading his processors. Mm -hmm. It's gross. So she like removes the skin off of the upper half of his body, like front and back. Ugh. And then <laughs> full body because, shivers. Because she loves him so much. She can do this. And he his face looks like a robot now because he's been burnt so badly to like show the fact that she loves him, even though he's not human, she ends up having sex with him in his half robot, half human skin form. Yeah. I just think that would hurt. I don't know. <laughs> How would it hurt though? 
Uh, he, you know what? Did the skin burn off his metal penis? I don't know. I was thinking like, so I was picturing it from like the waist up is the skin that she removed. And the, oh, thank God. His and the lower didn't blow up or burn in the, in the explosion. Okay. All the necessary bits were still there. Then it's all good. The sex capades. He ends up leaving and going to the clinic to get new. And on his way out, a warlord is waiting for him and that like outside of the clinic. And he says to Ronan that he needs to get rid of the worthless meat bag and that he knows that he's been keeping a human because he's been, you know, we've noticed in the market, you're buying food and why are you buying food? Cause it's right. obviously not for yourself. You must have a human in your house. He doesn't know. I don't think he knows which human it is. He just knows he has he a human. Right. He doesn't know. So Ronan runs back home and says they need to leave immediately. So they decide they're going to sneak out of up over the wall and take off into the dust to get away. Um, at one point, a massive dust storm approaches. He, <laughs> this part did not make sense to me. He picks her up and starts running. Yes. And he runs into like a shack sort of thing. But I'm like, we just had to read like two chapters of her bitching that she can't keep walking, that she's tired, she can't handle it. Why couldn't he have just carried her the whole time? <laughs> like, yeah, I I thought that too. I don't I don't know why. They he sees a storm shelter and they make a break for that and start he opens the hatch and they start climbing down. I guess I was picturing like a shack, like a little building, but maybe it was more like that bunker from Lost. It is a bunker. Yeah. They, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's exactly what it is. There's a robot that's been living in this bunker. He's like in the room under a blanket. Right. Like when you have like all your shit in the basement and you like throw the blankets on top of them to like limit the dust that's ruining your items. That's basically what this robot is doing. Yeah. He And they're like, who are you and why are you here? I know that voice. That voice sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. You take over. Okay. <sighs> <laughs> So at this point, we get a massive yes. info dump in this chapter. And mm -hmm. I, I'm just going to briefly go over it. So this robot is the prophet, whose real name is Newton. What are the odds? The yeah. prophet that reactivated all of the robots after the blackout happens to be in the shack bunker thing. He has his memories from before the blackout or yeah, all of them, right? Right. He has all the memories. Yeah. He explains to Ronan, like, yes, I was the one to reactivate you. Our creators were humans and Ro Ronan was a companion robot. He's basically a super high tech sex bot. Yeah, that is, that was hilarious. Well, for one, the fact that they said our creators were human. Well, of course they were. Who the hell else would they be? The prophet tells Ronan, your purpose <laughs> was to provide sexual satisfaction and companionship to humans. And then I was like, oh, well, now it makes sense why Lara married him. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, if, if you're going to marry one, that's the one you want to marry. Yeah, so that is his main purpose, is to bring me pleasure, and does he ever? Yeah, he, he also, the prophet also talks about the scientists that developed them, and um, one of them was named William, who the prophet actually missed, and he says he passed away over 200 years ago, but they, he still thinks of him every day. He explains that there's a basically a whole society under a, the Air Force base that is near Cheyenne, and 
that Ronan was turned into a soldier when the war started. At one point, Newton and Ronan like talk through the night as what's her name sleeps. Lara sleeping. Lara, yeah. yeah. And so she wakes up and they're talking and he reveals that the warlord actually used to be a human named Kevin Turner. This was like, are, are you kidding me? I don't know about all this. This was very bizarre. This is like, oh my God. Okay, go ahead. So the warlord, Kevin Turner, he had cancer and he agreed to be transferred, to have his consciousness transferred into a robotic body. Was like a, He agreed to be a science experiment because he had a terminal illness. It was successful, but Kevin was never the same. And Newton has felt bad ever since he reactivated the robots after the blackout because he reactivated Warlord. And Warlord is obviously not a great person. And so Newton has basically exiled himself, done like a self-exile. And that's why he's in that shack. Yeah, so I guess when they were getting ready to do the surgery on Kevin and upload his consciousness into this robot, they explained to him that there is a possibility something could go wrong and it's never been successful before him. And he says, well, if that starts to happen, just let me go. I, I don't want to, I don't want to love, I don't want to come through this and use my, lose my humanity. But of course, while they're doing the surgery, everything goes wrong. The doctor wants to stop, but the, of course, the military's like, no, you, you can't do that. We need to make him live. We need to find out what's going on. So when he is revived, he has lost all of his humanity. And that's the damage that he sustained from the surgery. We get way more info about Warlord and everything than I really cared about. <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if I would say I really cared about, but this book was actually really long. This book this, was so long. This book was really long. And just when you think like it's going to kind of wrap up like, oh, it could have easily been like they escaped Cheyenne and they lived happily ever after. This could have been the end of the book. They didn't even need to find the prophet. It could have been like them leaving Cheyenne and they found some new place and end of book happily ever after. No, there's a lot that happens <laughs> when they leave Cheyenne. It's just like, oh my God. Oh, I think yeah. we were on page like 300 probably. We're, but yeah, this we're all happened. <laughs> we are 66% into the book. I don't even know how long we've been talking already. But Lara all of a sudden realizes that, you know, they've got to tell people. They've got to go back and help these people. What's the point of being alive if you're letting all the other humans die? We need to help these people. I just wouldn't feel right with myself. So her and Ron decide that they're going to go back. She thinks about Gary and Kate and she, she wants to help them. So they decide to leave this shelter. Lara, and I never understood why Lara was going up the ladder first, but Lara goes up the ladder first and she's suddenly yanked out of this tube that she's climbing up and she just starts yelling for Rowan to help her. He climbs up and lo and behold, who's standing there because he just can't let things go. It's the warlord and some of his cronies that have hunted them down. Newton stays in the in the shelter. They don't, I guess they don't know he's down there, but two gearheads uh, are holding her. The warlord decides to make an example or or 
make Rowan suffer for disobeying him. And he just starts to beat the crap out of her. And he tells Rowan, I guess I'll let the rest of the robots fuck her when I'm done beating her up. This whole scene was so bad. It was really bad. It was so bad. They're like holding him back. They're like beating the shit out of Lara. And then they um, shoot, they shoot uh, Rowan four times. And then she's still screaming his name. And the warlord says, pull his fucking power cell. Let the dust have him. Ugh. And everything goes black. They and rip the last... out his batteries. Yes. So bad. It was horrible. I was like, oh my God. It was really horrible. I thought for sure he was done. I did too. <laughs> and the next thing that we realize is he's, his systems are rebooting. Mm -hmm. And he wakes up to Newton kneeling over his body He's like, you need to get up, Rowan. And he finally starts to ha come to a little bit. And he sees Lara stand laying there in the dirt. Yeah, I totally forgot about Newton when he was, you know, getting his all his shit ripped out. And she was getting kicked to smithereens. Right. I totally forgot about Newton. So I was actually surprised. I was so in it. I was surprised when he got plugged back in. By well, Newton. see, I was thinking what a chicken shit this uh, Newton is that he's hiding down there. But I guess if he didn't, he wouldn't have been there to plug Rowan back in. But and he's been hiding this whole time. Like he is a chicken. Well, that's true. He can't face what has what he has brought upon the world, I guess. But yeah, he still doesn't even want to go back. And he like reluctantly agrees to help them. Yeah, because she's so beat up. He says she's not dead. Not yet. Everything's broken in her body. Practically, she's got fractures, bruises. Um, she's unconscious. The only way we can help her is to take her to that Air Force base. And, but he doesn't even know if there are people still living there because it's been so long since he's been there. And he's like, it's all we can do, but we have to hurry because she's going to die. I'm not going to summarize each chapter. I'm just going to do like go right ahead. one final thing. Yeah, please <laughs> go, go wrap this up. Oh my God. So they get to the Air Force base. The people there agree to help Lara, but they are not happy about it because they have limited resources and they don't want to waste them on outside people. Lara recovers the people that are there at the Air Force Base eventually agree to help Lara, Ronan, and Newton get rid of Warlord because the people at the Air Force Base need a new place to live anyways. Sure, they've been at this Air Force Base for 200 years. But yeah, but now they're running out. They, now, they, are, they yeah. grow trees and fruit mm -hmm. and vegetables. But, but yeah, they, they've decided after all this time, now is the time that they're running out of supplies and they need to get out of there. And Lara is like the voice of humanity. No one seems to give a shit about all these other people. Uh, the colonel there or the guy in charge there basically says, you know, they're not hurting our people. She goes, where are your people? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're humans and you just left us out here for hundreds of years to deal with him. I actually did not like her at all in this portion of the book. And I was completely done with her. They convinced the people in the Air Force base to go back to Cheyenne to fight the warlord. So they get, they sneak in. Lara is trying to convince the humans to help the people from the air force base fight warlord. So she kind of goes to that human encampment shanty town sort of thing they were having that they had, that they lived in. Oh, this was bad. And, yeah. This part was really gross. So she, 
goes there. She finds out that Gary and Kate were ambushed by the warlord. Um, Maggie, their five-year-old daughter, was murdered. And Kate was beaten until she miscarried. And she uses... I wouldn't say she uses that, but that is like a perfect example of why the warlord needs to be stopped. Right. And she uses that one example, plus other things that have happened in their community because of warlord to rally the troops and convince the humans that they need to fight against warlord. And while she's doing that, that guy, Devin from earlier in the story. Mm-hmm. Yes. Reemerges. Right. Turns out he was basically selling secrets of what was happening in the human community to the warlord in exchange for privileges. So that's why Devin had all of that extra stuff that he was trying to, you know, use to lure Laura in. Yeah. So he, she's the one that it's a light bulb moment for her. Mm -hmm. She goes, wait a minute. How did you get all this stuff? And then she says, because the people are calling her a bot whore and all this stuff that you betrayed us. And Newton is off at the same time trying to rally the robots to rise up, the faithful, the the ones that don't believe with what the warlord's doing. So he's trying to rally them. She's trying to rally the people. They're all turning against her. Gary's standing by her side because he's uh, he's ready to fight because of what happened to his daughter. This guy comes up. She announced to everybody, wait a minute, you're the one you sold out Gary and Kate. You're the one that's responsible for their daughter getting killed. And the crowd loses their mind and Gary just starts to beat the living shit out of him. Yeah, the crowd ends up killing this guy, Devin. Right. They all like pounce on him because he's the source of all of their, all of the issues that they've had for a long time. So the crowd just kind of kills him. She succeeds in rallying the humans to assist in the fight against Warlord. And there's an epic fight scene that lasts like several chapters, it seems like. And that's the end of the story. And then we go to the epilogue. The epilogue picks up 46 years after that battle. Um, Turns out that Ronan and Lara have one natural born child and three adopted children uh, this whole epilogue really like sucker punched me right in the feels. It did. It was really sad. Yeah. So Ronan is, of course, he's not aging, right? So he's like walking through the town. He has an interaction with their oldest daughter. Her name is Tabitha and talks to her and he like goes home and then he talks to, um, Lara in the kitchen and she talks about how she's like really tired and it's too early to be this tired or whatever she says. And he ends up laying down with her in the bed because she has age. She is now an old lady. Yes. And their daughter is supposed to come by and see the mom later. That's what she says to Rome when she runs into him in town. Oh, I'll be by tomorrow and I'll see mom. Mm -hmm. Lara ends up passing away in her sleep and it's really sad. Um, so then it kind of picks up the next morning from the oldest daughter, Tabitha, coming into the house. She's trying to find her parents. She ends up finding both of her parents in the bed together. And Ronan had written a note asking that they be buried together and that they do not reactivate him. Yeah, he pried out his own battery. It- 
pack and because he wants to die with her. Yeah, it was the saddest epilogue ever. It was the best part of the whole book. I mean, it was really sweet, but it was also like, oh, I mean, okay, sure. They ended up having 46 years together, which is a very long time, but it still made me really sad. It did make me sad. That's not long enough when, you know, he can live forever and she can't. Yeah, but hey, what to be like a 69-year-old woman on her deathbed and you've got like your hot robot. A sex robot. Your sex robot. You. <laughs> yeah, I'd like that. Maybe I've changed my mind about robots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. <sighs> okay, so that was the end of the book. Do you want to talk about your rating? I could not wrap my head around it being a robot the book was way too long i didn't like lara's attitude like three quarters of the way through the book or two-thirds of the way through the book didn't like it i did not like this book i'd give it maybe two two parents okay okay that's fair i um would give it three panties and a thong. So I would give it three and a half. Really? So I loved Ronan. I oh, I did too. I liked him a lot. I couldn't stand anybody else, but I really <laughs> liked him. Yeah, he was a great character. And I thought the writing in this book was absolutely incredible. I was like blown away by this book in that respect. I have not read this author before. And I was thinking it was going to be like a smutty robot story. And it wasn't, which in some ways was good and in some ways was bad because I wanted a smutty robot story. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. But what, we're into smut. Let's be real. Yeah. But what I got was like so much more, you know, their conversations about life and what it meant to be alive and just humanity. Uh, yeah. Humanity. Yeah. All that there was stuff. A bigger was really message. Good. There was definitely yeah. a bigger message. Exactly. So I thought. For that reason, I really liked it. I did not like Lara. And the more I read the book, the less I liked her. Yeah, overall, I uh, three and a half. Okay. Me. All right. <laughs> um, do you want to say the next book or should I say the next book and do like, you know, the little wrap up? You go right ahead. I don't know where my notes are. for that. <laughs> You go right ahead. I don't even know what day it is. That's fine. So our next book is actually the book that is releasing the week of Christmas. So we've chosen a holiday book. The book we're going to talk about is A Witch for Mr. Holiday by Deanna Chase. And um, yes, I'm, I'm very anxious to talk to you about this book. <laughs> did you finish it? Of course I did. Did you? Yes. Okay. So we can record that episode whenever. Um, so yeah, I have a lot to say about that book as well. I bet you do. <laughs> Always. You're, you're shocked. We've been talking for two hours. Yeah, I know, my God. <laughs> okay, yeah. All right, we better go. Okay, so um, I would encourage you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts if you are so inclined or you have access to um, an Apple device, please rate and review us. I would like to apologize for saying please rate and review us on any platform you listen to us on because I did some research and apparently a lot of the podcast platforms do not allow reviews. So just ignore that what I've said in the past. And the only... <laughs> The only platform I can find that actually allows reviews is Apple. 
Oh. I, don't, I don't know why that is. It's the only one I could figure out. So if anybody knows of other platforms like Spotify, Google, we're on all of those, but they don't allow rating or reviews. So no matter where you listen to us, if you can rate us on Apple Podcasts, that would be great. If you listen to us on there, that's even better. Tell your friends about us. Tell them to follow us. Yeah, follow us on Instagram at Bonded Books Podcast. Uh, we do have a Facebook group that we're that is started. We're trying to kind of build up on Facebook. It is called the Parlor. Um, there's links to that on our Instagram page in the bio. Links to all of our things are in the bio on Instagram. And as always, you can email us at the Bonded Books Podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.